1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Sharika Crawford, your host. Today I'm with Dr. Kelly Baker-Josephs and Dr. Rupika Rizm. Dr. Josephs is a professor of English and Digital Humanities at the CUNY Graduate School and a professor of English at York College at CUNY. Dr. Rizm is an associate professor of English and secondary higher education at Salem State University. We're here to discuss their edited volume, The Digital Black Atlantic, published by the University of Minnesota Press in 2021. Welcome to New Books Network. Thank you. Thank you both for agreeing to do this interview, Kelly and, and Rupika. I usually like to start the interviews um, by asking um, the authors to discuss a little bit about their educational and intellectual background. And in particular, I'm really um, interested in hearing how both of you came to, um, you know, work in the digital humanities. Um, Kelly, would you mind um, starting first? I would not mind. And thank you again for having us, Sharika.
1: It's very few of us who are in digital humanities right now have some clear direct line that says this is where we were always heading. (laughs) Uh, I was just working on something recently that, had me go back to an early publication on Kamal Brathwaite and his usage of cygrax video style and it, it in in doing that that was my first pub- scholarly publication and I realized oh I've always been interested in digital stuff uh, though I didn't have the wordage for digital humanities then um, but that was back in, in the early 2000s and around 2010 to tw- 2009, 2010 is when I, I started working on Essex salon, which would become a digital publication. Uh, it, it launched in 2010 and uh, in doing that, in working on SX Salon, which was part of the Small Acts Project and was a digital platform for literary publications, I started thinking more about what the digital does. And I had to work with people who were um, trying to uh, pull together digital poetry or trying to do more with the digital. And so from there, it just grew. And I started meeting people like Rupsy, Rupika, um, and Alex Hill and and... He and I and uh, Kayama Glover up at Barnard, we sort of grew into the digital, the Caribbean digital uh, events. And, and it just that was the kind of rolling movement that happened, which I think is, is common for many people in digital humanities. You don't go in saying, I'm going to do digital humanities. You start to look, look at the ways in which the digital and digital tools help you do something else that you were doing. And then it grows from there.
2: Hmm. And Rubika, how did you um, happen to get into digital humanities? And and if you don't mind, perhaps talking a little bit um, about how we define, maybe in general terms, digital studies um, and or digital humanities?
0: Absolutely. So in a sense, my experiences were similar to Kelly's in that digital humanities solved a problem for me. When I was in graduate school at Emory, I was working on this intellectual cross currents between Black radicalism and colonized people who weren't African descended. And I was struggling with how to put into words some of these really rich intellectual cross currents. And when I was doing my dissertation research, I was at Stanford in the Huey Newton papers, and I came across the roles of subscribers for the Black Panther newspaper. And I thought, you know what? this would be really interesting to map. And I wonder what it would what it would say because there were there were places you'd expect someone to be subscribing to the Black Panther newspaper. Like Cuba or Algeria. But then there are places like Sweden where I was quite surprised. And so then that may really made me think about the ways that maps and other kinds of digital tools might be useful for addressing some of these situations where maybe trying to wrestle a complex idea onto a page is not actually the most effective way to do that. And so it turned out this was I believe in the mid 2000s, it turned out that there was this whole emerging field of digital humanities that did just that. And so I learned learned more about that and then really became interested in these questions of how the practices of digital humanities replicate colonialism, uh, particularly colonialism and knowledge production. And that ended up becoming the subject of my first book, new digital worlds. And so in there, I really think about positioning digital humanities in in two ways. The first is as using digital and computational tools to understand and interpret history, literature, culture. So it could be anything from using quantitative textual analysis to count words, see which words are more frequent in a corpus, see which words appear most frequently next to each other in a corpus and therefore, you know, what could that mean for our interpretation of why words appear in proximity to each other? Or it could be something like the kinds of digital cultural mapping that I mentioned. And the second piece is using the lenses we have from the humanities for inquiry, like something like post-colonial theory, and applying them to our interpretation of digital objects and cultures to try and understand how power, the power dynamics of colonialism, of racism, shape people's experiences online.
2: So listening to both of you kind of discuss the way that you found yourself increasingly um, involved in this this kind of emerging field of um, digital humanities really piqued my interest to how did you come to um prepare this amazing um, volume? What was its origin? Um, You know, how were you able to kind of draw in this eclectic, um, um, wonderful group of digital humanists? And then what scholarly contributions were you um, seeking to make either to this kind of emerging digital humanities um, field or to a more established field like the Black Atlantic? And maybe Rubika, maybe you could continue. Um, with that question.
0: Sure. So what actually happened was that independently of each other, Kelly and I were approached by a different publisher asking us about whether we had edited collections we would like to pursue. And I believe I was asked about post-colonial studies and I believe Kelly might have been asked about Caribbean studies. And we both reached out to a mutual friend, Alex Hill, who Kelly works with on Digital Caribbean, uh, Caribbean Digital, and um, various assorted initiatives. And we both said, We've been asked to do a volume. Would you like to do a volume with us? And Alex got the light bulb over his head and said, Huh, you know what? I can just. Avoid having to do this and make them do a volume with each other. So that's primarily how we got connected. And when we talked about what we would do if we did a volume with my background in postcolonial and African diaspora studies and Kelly's background in Caribbean studies, it seemed like uh, an African diaspora approach would make the most sense but we also were concerned about making sure that the volume was accessible to people and researchers and libraries in the African diaspora, wherever they were. And so we thought that publishing what would have been a very expensive volume with the original press that approached us wasn't the right approach. And instead, we decided to go to Debates in the Digital Humanities Series in the University of Minnesota Press, uh, where we knew they published open access volumes. It was really crucial for us. It was really an ethical choice to think about doing a volume that would um, be available to researchers, regardless of whether they or their libraries could afford to buy the volume. And the contributions that we were really trying to make was to establish a body of work that could be cited. This is... Uh, one of the challenges of doing our work is that this is the first volume on African diaspora, really anything black studies and digital humanities. And we wanted to try and not be prescriptive, not to be the last word, not to be definitive, but rather to open up the conversation by giving people a body of scholarship a two-site and a points of entry into talking about digital humanities in the context of the African diaspora uh, and, and with the hope that we would just be the first of many.
2: Like a, found yeah, like a kind of a, a foundational text that can generate, hopefully, um, a really robust um, kind of scholarly conversation. And and I definitely feel that that, that came across really well. I, I'm curious if we could... Um, Focus just a moment on, on the framing, you know, the particular framing of um, the digital humanities um, volume that you and Kelly were working on, and 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 your volume is great because, as you pointed out, there's just this, this array um, of contributions from scholars and and library practitioners and, and even curators, and they're all working in this Black Atlantic digital humanities um, space. But I was also curious um, if you could kind of discuss a little bit about why was the Black Atlantic, um, you know, rather than the African diaspora, the kind of preferred intellectual framing to encompass this, this wide variety of digital humanities projects about Black people um, and their lived experiences um, worldwide and, and and maybe Kelly, you you might have something to, to say about that. Yes, Uh, it's a great question. And. I've been
1: trying to think about that. We use the word African diaspora or the terminology African di- diaspora in our introduction. Um, but we were really thinking, as we were working on the introduction, as we were thinking about the various thinkers <laughs> that we wanted to engage in introducing this um, this range of, of uh, digital practices and, and digital theory theoretical, um, interventions, we started thinking about, um, uh, Gilroy's Black Atlantic. And we, we'd both been thinking through that. And we also wanted to think about, well, why Black, At- why digital Black Atlantic rather than Black Atlantic <laughs> digital humanities, or, there are so many different terminologies that we had both come through and to, uh, as we worked in, you know, there's post-colonial, there's Caribbean, there's just black without, there's black code studies. There's, there's, there are so many, so much terminology around trying to pull together this variety of all things black in, um, digital humanities. And we decided that the, The Gilroy move was our best move, um, or or the one that made the most sense to us at the time. And so, in the introduction, we go through some of that as well. Actually, we sort of list those terms that we've we've had, and we we talk about the ways that the Black Atlantic allows us to think about the geographies um, more um, transparently. To think about not just geography, but also temporal, um, the ways that. Gilroy's theory is, is temporally set, and but also makes us think about geographies, what in that helps us frame the ways that scholars are using digital tools to think through spaces in the Black Atlantic? I don't know if that's quite answering the question, because we do use the word African diaspora, but we wanted to specifically um, set it within that theoretical time and frame does
2: that make sense no absolutely no absolutely i think that um it came across particularly you're you're mentioning the the geography so that that mobility question and 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 Gilroy's work temporally and and kind of spatially um is set it is in a frame but at the same time it was it was wonderful to see that the variety um of chapters, you know, in that volume that really did reflect, um, of the kind of spatial and kind of temporal, um, projects that can be pursued. You, I remember there was a chapter from an author talking about what was happening in Nigeria. Um, you had, you know, one that was um, centered in the Midwest. I mean, so really, I thought that it worked really well, but I also, um, I had a kind of a sense that there was a perhaps a conversation or, or maybe you, you both are, are setting um, the tone for a kind of a thoughtful re-engagement with these kind of framings. You know, <laughs> over time, there's been, you know, continual questions about, you know, what terminology, who's left out, what spatial um, frame gets, you know, excluded or included. And I thought that that was a really um, novel way to kind of start thinking about this in a different light.
1: Yes, and uh, Rubica can speak a little bit more towards this as well, because we we in in using those words, digital and black and Atlantic, uh, we were thinking about as we said in the introduction the juxtaposition of those words and what what that means. And and um, Rubica, you want to talk a little bit more? I, I'm putting you on the spot, but <laughs> a little bit more about um, the juxtaposition of the words.
0: Absolutely. So. You know, we're not interested in thinking about ways that people are incidentally using technology in the African diaspora, and rather thinking about the ways that at those intersections of Blackness and technology are really productive conversations to be had about and the ways that black people have appropriated technologies um, to reframe a narrative. So it's not a story about how tech, this typical story about how technologies have been used to disempower black people, but rather how African diaspora communities are using technology to seize the means of the production of digital knowledge on their own terms and in their own words hmm.
2: and and i feel like that that actually sp- speaks to something that i i hope that we would have a chance to talk about and, and rubica maybe you might want to continue with this you, you you both bring this out very well um what you pointed out now this this kind of um refreshing approach of thinking about Black people and technology and not just as a kind of a tool that kind of um, excludes or limits or oppresses, but the creative and innovative ways that that they are constantly and have been using um, technology. But you also speak to, and it was reinforced in several of the chapters by um, the various authors, the challenges though around um, the digital Black Atlantic. And, And I guess I mean um, both as kind of like a scholarly field, but also like the people who actually live in, in this space, even currently of, of a digital Black Atlantic. And so I was hoping that we might talk a little bit about what some of those challenges are. and you know, how have you both or, or, or other scholars that you're or other people that you are, 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 you know, are, that you know are confronting them? How are they responding to these challenges?
0: So I think this actually ties in well uh, also to why we each selected Black Atlantic as a framing, which is that Gilroy's articulation is very much an interdisciplinary one. And in order to really fully engage with um, digital humanities in the context of the African diaspora, we really had to take an interdisciplinary approach. So what you'll find in the volume is scholarship on musicology and digital games and library and information studies and digital archives, all kinds of different approaches. And that's very, it's very challenging to deal with interdisciplinary scholarship. And so if you do this kind of work, what we're encountering are these multiple levels of complication from, first of all, working in a field that is already marginalized in the broader landscape of academic knowledge production, African diaspora studies, then doing so, which with so many different interdisciplinary approaches that kind of go beyond the kind of standard expectations of interdisciplinarity, which usually you'd say, okay, well, obviously you need history, economics and so forth, but to be drawing from such diverse arrays of disciplines it's very challenging to think through how do you bring these together and and, and yet it's fitting because gilbert's formation is an interdisciplinary one and so that's what was very helpful in negotiating that challenge and i think the other challenge goes back to why we undertook the volume in the first place which is how do you establish a politics of citation that is necessary to demonstrate that this work is legitimate uh, when this is the first volume on it. And this is why we're doing the volume in the first place. And so we actually found that the interdisciplinary approach assisted with that because we were reaching into new media studies and e Black studies and, um, and different areas of scholarship and, and to bringing them together to conceptualize a truly interdisciplinary approach.
2: And Kelly, I didn't know if you wanted to to jump in here. I, one thing that I'm, I, I remember from your introduction and, and maybe one or both of you could speak to is um, something you brought up earlier, um, Rupika, when you de- were defining kind of digital studies and digital humanities And this, um, it's a field in which um, to some degree computational um, approaches can be used. And yet at the same time, there's... Um, There is an unevenness, or there can be a gap between, um, you know, a a scholar's, your practitioners' um, ability to fully utilize these new kind of computational approaches to do that project. So when you were talking about Stanford and looking at, you know, the the I think the membership roles, right, and wanting to map that, I thought, wow, that's really great. But at the same time, I thought, wow, how you know do I have the skills? Do I know how to how to to do that? And so I, I wonder, to what degree is that? a conversation even if it's not happening like formally in in this digital humanities space? I mean, how much is the the question about um, the, this this preparation, the skills preparation to kind of carry out um, some of these digital projects is um, specific to the the black Atlantic or, or, or black um, people in, in the digital in general? Um, well, Rebecca might be able to speak
1: more to this, but I'm going to jump in and say that we've actually been talking about this in terms of the Caribbean specifically, um, thinking about not just access to digital tools, though that is also a big challenge as well in in some cases, um, especially in the region, right? Um, But access to the skills, and access to people who can teach the skills. So knowing the skill is not necessarily also being able to teach it. And we've been talking about so uh, uh, Shaila Spree, who's who's also in the who has a piece in the volume, an essay in the volume, um, runs Create Caribbean in in the Caribbean, which is a digital center. Um, but she's also now at at. Um, University of West Indies, Mona. And we've been talking with her, uh, some folks. Puerto Rico is where we were supposed to hold the last uh, Caribbean digital. And, you know, as with all conferences in 2020, that did not happen. Uh, we're still talking about it, though. So, you know, we've been t- thinking with some people in in the uh in the region, who are situated in the region, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Dominica, Trinidad, um, about how to bring, how to teach those skills, right? How to have the space, time, resources, read money here, <laughs> um, cause time is also a resource, but I, I mean money there. Um, to to teach those skills how you know how to use computational practices etc to do the kinds of things that especially people in the region are interested in so people in the diaspora are not necessarily interested in the same things as people in the region there are crossovers i'm not saying we're interested in mutually exclusive things but that is a conversation we're still working on that I think we don't have an answer yet. <laughs> and, and It's not that you can just throw money at something, uh, though, you know, please, anyone who has it, throw it at us. Um, but thinking through who we have, who has time, and then how we can support that through grants, et cetera, it's, it's, it is a question we don't necessarily have an answer to yet.
2: Mm. No, I think you you you're actually kind of picking back up to, you know, um Rubika's your point at the very beginning with the politics of citation. I mean, just for, you know, us who happen to be in this sphere of academia, you know, there is, you know, a kind of process by which we are recognized and get promoted and receive tenure. There's there's, you know, a whole kind of established process that to your point, Rupika, you know this is kind of it's emerging, but it's also kind of a marginalized space, and the rules have not been set. It hasn't been integrated um, fully, or even maybe um, maybe you might argue um, at all yet into to these processes. And at the same time, you know, you know, Kelly, you're you're bringing to bear that the people whom um, would be very interested in um, you know extending um, into the Caribbean and working with people based and living in the Caribbean to teach these kinds of skills, perhaps are at institutions where, you know, they have to think about promotion and tenure and and, and following into these, you know, kind of established norms and processes that have not um, fully, um, you know, kind of integrated or incorporated kind of the digital humanities into their understanding of the production of knowledge. And and so I think these are the, the volume and the, and the different um, projects and, and the ways in which these authors are, are kind of wrestling with that at different levels, you know, at a, as a librarian, as, you know, as a, as a professor of English, you know, as someone who heads up, I believe you had one for, for someone from the Midwest who heads up, you know, a Black Studies um, Institute, you, you're seeing people trying to kind of grapple with, you know, at multiple levels, not just the content but also kind of community to, you know, you know, institutional kind of interactions, but also these, these larger questions and challenges. It's, it was, it was really thought provoking and, and, and I found it immeasurably um, very, very useful.
0: Can I jump in and add one thing? Yeah, please. I want our readers not to assume that we're in a, People in the global north have, people in the global south have not, kind of situation. Because, for example, there's a thriving and relatively decently funded digital humanities community in Nigeria, for example. And they've been doing a lot of work with other scholars in West Africa and kind of bringing them in for workshops and and things like that. Um, Southern Africa has a very, so South Africa and surrounding countries have a very, relatively well-developed digital humanities community as well. And so I think it's sometimes people assume that, you know, maybe, you know, countries in Africa, the scholars there like just don't have, don't have that. But I mean, there are, there are scholars doing this work, making really crucial contributions to scholarship. And also they're, they're redistributing the resources they have uh, to, to build up, their regional communities.
2: Absolutely. That was a wonderful um, chapter um, um, from the author and the scholar working in Nigeria for that, that very purpose. It, it's, you know, basically listeners, you can see I'm really enthusiastic about um, the volume because there's really a kind of a, a wealth of, um, at least for me, relatively new information about kind of thinking along these, along this ways um, and, and also trying to see how people are working through um, building these kind of, um, borderless kind of communities um, um, in, in really interesting and innovative ways, which brings me to um, something that I, I'm really interested in hearing you both talk about, which is um, both of you perhaps um, discussing, identifying maybe a digital Black Atlantic project that you're familiar with or are or, or working on yourselves and um, perhaps discussing how it gets to some of these central like ideas in the volume. And maybe Kelly, you might want to begin there and then Rupika jumps in. Um. Yes. Uh, so now <laughs> I, I
1: had thought of something else before to answer this question. But I, I want to start by, um, as as I mentioned earlier, I mentioned Shyler Esprit, who's in Dominica. Well, she's not, as I said, in Dominica at the moment, but her program Create Caribbean is there Um, it's just fascinating what she can she has done right with students and with um so she has various levels so it's it it was something that grew it didn't start off where it is but please do read that chapter and visit create caribbean to see it's there's not just one project right so I, i can't really answer the question with this specific example but i want to think about there are centers where that do different projects, right? So there's that that I find really exciting, that it's not just one project tied to one person that if that person decides I'm not doing this anymore or something happens to that person and they can't do it anymore, that the project goes down. It's it's a um, collaboration is, is at the heart of much of DH and to have centers that will carry on work that's not... Uh, personality-centered, maybe is a good way of saying it, um, or person, individual-centered. I, I think, so So I, th- this is not exactly a project in the way that you're asking, but I want to draw attention to, as, as uh, Rubika did as well, um, to places that are hives of activity, right? Um, and then a particular project that I've just recently been writing about and thinking about, um, so it's at the top of my mind, uh, is the one we close the volume with, uh, which is uh, in in the same boats. And that's also a collaborative project in, in many ways. So Rubika did part of it. I did part of it. Um, and, and when I say part, we, we contributed data sets to it, um, but it's headed by... Alex Hill and Kayama Glover and it's it's a so the title is in the same boats as I said and it's thinking about black intellectuals who were traveling um, whose travels maybe intersected and maybe at some moments they were literally you know in the same boat. so we were tr- we're mapping right now it's at 12 and it's it 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 has um, it's built to grow and, and it, it has grown over the past couple of years. So we're at 12 uh, black intellectuals who are, their, their movements from 1890 to 2010, uh, well, not all of them lived that long, but that's the range of the project. So mostly 20th century black intellectuals, how they moved through the world, where they Stopped where they went to conferences, where they gave talks, where centers brought them in to do workshops, etc. And and looking at places that ended up being, um, uh, uh, where a lot of black intellectuals ended up in in particular times. So it's temporal and spatial, as we were saying earlier. Uh, So I think that's a fantastic project to think about the ways that digital tools allow us to uh, know things that or, or guess at sometimes because we don't know much, um, specifics we don't know if people met etc but to um guess, speculate at things and also know things, to see things that we couldn't see with just the archive, the individual archives that Rupika might be looking at the Du Bois archive and I might be looking at the Brathwaite archive and we we are not talking to each other. Uh, So there's a way that the digital tools and the way that they're using them here allow us to do a certain type of inquiry in African uh, diasporic studies, Black Atlantic studies that um, make that project an interesting one to uh, close out uh, the volume.
0: I would uh, actually go back to one of the earliest projects that's discussed in the volume which is S- the Sonia Donaldson's project Lift Every Voice and Sing or Singing the Nation into Being uh, which is a project that is trying to promote a conversation around the meaning of James Weldon Johnson uh, and J. Re- Rosamond Johnson's Lift Every Voice and Sing. And so what the project does is create a collection of performances, scraped from YouTube, uh, performances of Lift Every Voice and Sing, uh, which Donaldson uses to talk about sort of the ephemerality of archives. Um, to think about what it means that sort of these um, are reliant on a commercial platform, that they're there one minute, they're not there the next minute. And uh, to think about what this means in in terms of the uh, broader implications for the democratization of culture and and what it means to use uh, commercialized platforms as sites of memory. And it's a really wonderful essay. It's a really wonderful project. And also in many ways, you know, even though it is a, in a sense, a single authored project, even just on the project site itself, you see Sonia, D- Dr. Donaldson, situating her work in a constellation, uh, you know, in a community of scholars, um, inc- including Kelly and I, uh, as people who, who are all thinking around these issues. And even though we may be doing our individual projects that we're also all kind of thinking with each other as well.
2: Well, it would appear to me that you've um, both successfully launched um, this edited volume, and I am um, eager to hear um, whether you're currently or you're kind of thinking about um, future projects. And Rubica maybe you could start first.
0: Yes. Yeah, so using the, uh, some of the, well, When I collected the data for the Du Bois project, it was while I was also working on a data project on WB Du Bois. So that's something I'm working on. It's called the Global Du Bois. It's a series of data visualizations that's trying to challenge the idea that Du Bois turned to anti-colonialism later in his life and to suggest and argue through data visualizations that in fact, that was something that was part of his, his career from the very beginning. I'm so working on that, and I'm also working on a book called *Insurgent Academics*, which is under contract with Johns Hopkins University Press, and it's looking at the ways that scholarly moves that are being advocated for in critical university studies by white scholars—moves uh, like, you know, open access to knowledge and collaborating with communities—are actually the very tactics that uh, scholars like Du Bois uh, and other scholars of color have used in the academy. To survive, and so it's looking at this in creating this intellectual history of scholars in Native uh, and Indigenous studies, African American studies, Asian studies, who are you know, Latinx studies, who are who are the progenitors of the work that we do today in digital humanities, even if you know their technological uh, ecosystems are completely different than ours.
2: Mm. And Kelly.
1: Yes, um, so I, I was. I've been sitting here thinking. I wanted to circle back just for a moment um, when uh, Rubika was speaking about Sonia's uh, essay, which does is in the first section of the volume. I wanted to say um, so. Several of these essays are several, many of them um, are reflective on the process of the project. And so you asked earlier about the computational skills, et cetera. And, and some of our essays do have that, right? We have graphs, we have charts, we have tables. Um, but Sonia's essay for me was really theorizing ephemera, ephemerality, right? And so her project is, is, is awesome. Um, but she's, thinking here also about the theory of what it means to, to have loss in the digital space. Right. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about and, and that's something I'm turning to in my um, current work. So I'm, I'm also doing some Brathwaite stuff that is taking up my time right now, which I'm happy for it to take up my time. I, I love all things Brathwaite and he's at the heart of my digital practices and theorizing in many cases. But I'm, you know, doing some special issues on one on one of his essays, specifically, and one on just his work in general for the Journal of West Indian Literatures. Um, So that's taking up some of my time right now. But I'm also thinking about death. And um, that sounds terrible. Uh, I'm thinking about death in the digital space. I'm thinking about both in terms of human death and and how how that af- how how that is treated in digital spaces um, and not treated in digital spaces, but also deaths of projects which may be related to um, uh, human death in some cases. Um, so I've been thinking through. So that's why uh, Sonia's essay uh, leads me into talking about this in in some ways. The what what. How we mark death and how the digital space doesn't allow us to die um, and, and uh, how some things die before they, they are sunsetted is, is a word that we use in digital humanities for closing out a project. So that's what I've been looking at um, just now, and it, it, it's it's the last part of a larger project on um, that's called Caribbean articulations that thinks about storytelling in Caribbean spaces, and so this is the closing out <laughs> is to think about um, death of people and death of projects in digital spaces.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to following you both on um both of these projects um or multiple actually the the this um caribbean articulations and and i have been following um rupika's uh, global dubois or dubois um, project for for some time and this has been a really um, fascinating conversation thank you both for agreeing to do the interview with me
0: thank you so much thank you
2: You can find The Digital Black Atlantic on the New Books Network webpage. I also will have linked um, several of the projects that were referenced in our interview. And I look forward to um, sharing with you again some great works. Until next time.